0: Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Art Hushin. Okay, long biography here, but I'm going to sum it up for you really quickly. He's a cop, and his specialty is in crime prevention through environmental design. He's got a whole bunch of stuff here. He worked in a lot of different police departments. He's done a lot of work. He's had a long career in all this, so just trust me. He's good. He knows what he's talking about, according to the paper. Um, but he also sits on the IES's, which is what's um, really relevant for us here, IES's Security Lighting Committee. And you know what we're going to talk about. But before we do, Greg, we got to go to led-llc.com for light-efficient design.
1: That's right. They have their flex color and watt wall packs: traditional, mini, full cutoff, adjustable, built-in photo cell, 50,000-hour life, IP65, zero to 10-volt dimming. And one unique thing, Mike, that I found on there that I haven't seen anywhere else. There's a built-in level indicator to ensure the proper alignment of the wall pack. That's pretty nice.
0: Ooh, you know you got to you got to really hand it to the folks down at Light Efficient Design. They always have things about their products that are unique and cool. Every time mm-hmm. they come out with something, they got a little thing on something different and whatever. They're so good. So go to led-llc.com. That's right for Light Efficient Design. Of course, proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors our presenting association for this show. Folks get associated get educated but for right now what's up art how you doing
2: oh doing good Just looking forward to this me too I, I see
0: yeah <laughs> so Mike, Mike said you're
1: a, a, a cop or a police officer you're a retired mm-hmm. one and yeah. what is your role now tell us about your company
2: Role. Well, the company started the company back in 1999 while I was still a cop back in down here in Tampa Florida and uh, I slowly transitioned over to the Special Operations Bureau, where we had a crime prevention through environmental design program, or we designed it, part of the group that designed that, which included setting these standards citywide and countywide, uh, as far as including SEPTED. and that included a lighting component too. Uh, we codified it under the city zoning code, where now this is a mandatory review to ensure compliance with that code. and. Uh, once that's done, we sign off and move forward for permitting. I retired in 2006 and just continued with the program under the Florida uh, governor's office, attorney general's office, where we made this mandatory training in the state. And then I slowly just worked my way out of the state. I do a lot of training now in California. This is a mandatory, what we call post-certified training for police departments, where the officers get credit for taking this. Uh, We do a lot of private sector, not just government, but uh, American Institute of Architects, American Planning Association, uh, ASIS, ASIS. And uh, the company continues to grow as more and more cities mandate this and codify it as part of their design standards.
1: So tell us about this. It's a CPTED. Crime Prevention Through Environmental Design. You said you started it or you were involved in starting this?
2: Oh, no, no. What we did was we started it for the agency, for the police department. We're the first police department to have a full-time SEPTED unit in the country where that's all we did was work with designers and architects. Uh, SEPTED came about in the early 70s from a criminologist at a university who coined the phrase Crime Prevention Through Environmental Design. And so it kind of built from the 70s to where it is today.
1: Got it. What what all entails? I know we're obviously lighting people, but what else goes into this? Oh, that's
2: perfect. Because under lighting, because we talk about nighttime use, so it has these certain elements you got to follow as part of design, uh, window placement, outdoor activity. But because we talk about cities in use, in order to provide, for example, what we call natural surveillance, be able to see someone, this at night, the only way I can see them is with lighting. So again, if I'm talking about park use, again, if I'm using it at nighttime and I want to promote natural surveillance, I've got to have lighting. So then we get down to the discussion, what kind of lighting, what's the foot candle, what's the cal- the uniformity level, and how do I codify that or get the city to say, here's the standard we want to follow to ensure that we can see what's happening around us at nighttime. And that's where the discussion is. It gets convoluted, it gets turned around, it gets too much, not enough. And then it goes other concepts with septad Territory Reinforcement Ownership, Was lighting helps show ownership especially along the perimeter fencing coming into the main entryway. Uh, Then we get into natural access control. How do I guide people to my facility? So lighting plays a key for that at nighttime use and then maintenance, you know, how do I maintain the building itself? But yet how do I maintain the lighting ensure self functioning, create that feeling of safety as people use that space?
0: Okay. So, um, please excuse (laughs) my skepticism. okay? Okay. Before I ask you this question, how do you know this stuff works? I mean, I hate to say that because I hate to ask it that way, but it's the only way to really ask it because I'm very, very skeptical of sociological interventions. And And what we have... Oh, go ahead. Let me just finish my question here. Because a lot of people... They want to, you know, they want to change the way kids learn math because this system is so much better or what, and they have these different, you know, they've been changing the way they educate kids constantly since the 1960s and every change is going to be better and better and we don't really have the results. The results speak for themselves. Um, How Mm -hmm. do you know that this safe or this crime prevention, um, uh, you know, crime prevention through environmental design, how do you know it actually
2: works? a couple of ways we know first thing is just it's been with us since as far back as we can remember from castle design to corners to Mm moats to using fencing perimeters again we've shown that it can keep armies from coming into my cider building Uh, we create giant berms to create barriers so now we just magnify that into today's requirements under planning and zoning so now the research from the universities for example from michigan state from university of florida uh, we see it now done in, uh, for example, University of uh, Utah is now getting involved with septhead We have the numbers and the data to show by applying these strategies, we have a reduction in crime up to some cases, 60 to 70%, depending on the type of crime. And we haven't even included, you know, spreading this out through the entire city. So a lot of this is uh, target specific. So a neighborhood, a park, a trail system, we integrate that with our lighting standards. We do the crime analysis, the data, we do a minimum five-year study of crime, you know, to determine any trends. And then we apply the strategies, including the social component and see the impact it has on crime overall. And the numbers are there to show us that it is very effective. One in Virginia and particularly a uh, housing unit that used a lot of these concepts and strategies had a 75% reduction in calls for police service and over a 40% reduction in crime. So, yeah, so we got the data, we got the numbers, we got the universities, uh, we got the American Institute of Architects. We all know it works, It's just, again, just like you said, more and more people say, show me, show me. So we have more and more universities involved with that.
0: So, you know, I I understand the idea of um, castles and moats separating people reduces crime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Separating enemies from one another reduces crime for sure, or reduces violence or whatever you want to call it. But like, are are we addressing murder or graffiti or what type of crimes are you talking about?
2: We're talk- First thing we start off is something called quality of life crimes. And that goes back to the uh, broken window theory New York PD started sure. many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. So it all starts with quality of life crimes. Uh, once you address quality of life crimes, you start to see a reduction in some of the more violent crime. Now, you don't eliminate them. you know, And even coming from the founder of SEPTED, the criminologist, uh, you take steps that you can to decrease the opportunity for crime. And that's what we're trying to do is just limit that opportunity for crime. So will we still have a violent crime? More than likely, we probably will. But can we limit those opportunities? That we can do. That we can address that through good design, social component, bringing that all together. Uh, one of the recent studies done by John Jay College up in New York, um, it tied into sociology, was what they found over a 25 year period that cities with a population of uh, 290,000 and more by applying Uh, A lot of these nonprofit companies involved in uh, social management led to as much as a 12% reduction in the homicide rate and 9% reduction in uh, violent crime or property crime. So the value of nonprofits, which is part of our program as well, there is data that shows that you will have a reduction by embracing nonprofit. There's not enough police. There's not enough police to manage all those calls. So you have to partner with a lot of the nonprofits or private sector groups.
0: When you say eliminating the opportunities for crime, that I mean like putting up a mm-hmm. wall pack or like what, what is it like <laughs> you, know, you, you know what i mean like oh yeah we cuz oftentimes we you know honestly you yeah, have people come out and say yeah well, what what you need is more light what more light uh, there.
2: Yeah. you know what i'm saying and yeah. then you'll
0: have less crime It's i don't think it's that simple tell me you know what what are reducing the opportunities
2: for crime how do you do that using light so for for light for example we understand a lot of the groups i work with dark adaptation You know, that's so important. If you're walking a trail, a downtown corridor, you got recessed doorways where your eyes are going bright, dark, bright, dark, you might not see the threat. Uh, Our landscaping and lighting blending together, uh, that tree canopy blocking the light. So I go from bright to dark, bright to dark. And again, we actually have photos and scenarios we put people in so they can see that where I don't have uniform lighting. Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna identify that threat because they actually see it now in the classroom setting. So by combining this along with the lighting, Uh, the uniformity the distribution Uh, we limit the areas that an offender can hide which in turn we look at 30 feet to see around us can identify the threat from further away it makes me aware I'm more aware of my surroundings we design the site to bring bring more surveillance more outdoor seating to observe what's taking place and so we want the offender to feel uncomfortable that they just can't stage there and commit that crime because no one's going to see that behavior Natural surveillance is so important to bring more visibility to what's occurring, and that visual presence might be enough to deter the offender. Then we look at maintenance, then we look at landscaping, then we look at access, and you blend all those strategies together, not one, then you have that way to address it and make it harder for the offender to be successful.
0: I'm going to throw you a curveball. Um, oh no,
2: no curves. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, because I actually no, have, a, go ahead. I have a. I have
0: a. Have, I have a theory. I have a theory. I came up with it okay. on my own. I have no idea whether it's true. It's just a pure hypothesis. Okay, but that what you just said, works both ways, right? Mm-hmm. So
2: oh, I've heard that. Yes,
0: Yeah, police officers like to see their people, and then but also the people can see the police officers too. And one, mm-hmm. one of the things I noticed about the riots of twenty twenty was that when you watched a lot of this stuff the streets seem very uniform and bright. And I was wondering Mm -hmm. to myself if there's something with high Kelvin temperature lighting and uniform lighting at night that creates the sense that people shouldn't go home or that creates a sense of security of mobs that they can all see. And I'm wondering if maybe that idea of uniformity works in the instance of the singular offender, but then backfires... When you have like, you know, when some, a protest evolves into a riot and then in fact, maybe Mm -hmm. that two way seeing backfires. Is there any, any research or evidence on that?
2: What I have found working with a lot of groups out there that again, so many other factors that come into that, no threat of apprehension, uh, no threat of being challenged, Mm -hmm. uh, losing control of the street again that again you already have the lighting there for your normal use you know you have a special event a parade outdoor activity it's illuminated but the threat of apprehension is now gone because of the civil unrest which in turn then you get that mob mentality and all your normal users are are kind of leaving because they don't want to be there and then now you've lost control of the entire site uh, hmm. what led to the incident uh, what led to the problems there are the police stepping up and taking the uh appropriate response or again politically are they told hey just back away back away back away and then pretty soon you lose control of everything so uh, again I, I wish i could say it's you that know what one I'm referring thing to, like in right.
0: wisconsin that one night that kenosha or wherever it was one of the cities you, um uh even where i hate to bring up a controversy i'm not taking sides in this thing anyway on this show oh, okay. but like the rittenhouse thing you could see everything it was the middle of the night oh yeah and you could see everything in those videos and I, I right. wonder to myself, hey, is these clear sight lines causing this crazy behavior when it comes to mobs? I get the single offender, the guy can't hide, he can't hide in the shadows or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to this mob sort of mentality, does that backfire? I wonder if there's like a, an understanding of that. And I, I don't know if you fully, I fully understood your answer to that.
2: Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You know, again, we're bright, we're making the place bright so the offenders can continue what they're doing. Mm. Uh, again, like we like surveillance, well, they like surveillance exactly. to see what type of properties there. The cops and, and are again, over there, that... don't
0: worry, I can see them. They're a block that way.
2: <laughs> don't worry, yeah, we're that's good here, like You know? that, that two edged thing again. Yeah. It's got its pros and cons. Um, the police want to see where the offenders are, uh, and again, the offenders want to see where the police are. The media wants to get pictures of you know what everybody's doing. Uh, again, you just have to look at the the social component from over that time frame. What caused it to get to that point? Once you get to mayhem, it's a different ball game. You know, now you've got civil unrest, now you're losing control. Uh, stuff we saw, for example, in Georgia, uh, where Atlanta was dealing with issues within the city. And again, there was that confrontation constantly. Uh, they brought out Georgia State Police onto the highway and the offenders got there like, is that Georgia State Police? Yeah, all right, we're leaving. And they went somewhere else because they knew, again, what could possibly happen confronting the state police versus city police. So I mean, we see that time and time, not every time, but politics play a part of that. And mm-hmm. like you, I'm not trying to take any side, but you know, when you have a certain level in that case where Georgia State Patrol showed up, it was a different response from the, the offenders that were there, again, mm-hmm. the protesters. It was like, oh, we don't wanna challenge them. You know, we'll go here where politically this is accepted. So again, that's what you're dealing with in some cases. You mentioned the term codify.
1: I have a feeling I know what it is, but can you explain more about what that is? Oh, yeah.
2: We just uh, make it part of the zoning code or standard, just like FIRE has their own codes, which have been codified. Uh, we take the SEPTED, including lighting, and we codify it, which means it sets as a standard under uh, planning and zoning or new construction. So as the police read these site plans, just like FIRE, uh, we check to see, all right, what is the lighting? Have they met that? And then we sign off and say, yes, it's met the minimum requirements for lighting. So again, from sidewalk width to entryway to landscaping, you know all those, the uh, CEPTEP person reviews to ensure that they've met those standards.
1: Is that for, did you say for new construction only, or are you looking at existing It can, properties it, that are
2: it can be existing, it can be renovation, it can be new construction. Uh, a lot of cities will try to get this in for new construction. And, and again, I understand that, but a lot of cities too under renovation, if you're looking at renovation at 51% over these says property value, now you gotta be in compliance with the code. Because the city and government doesn't wanna mess with that homeowner who's just adding a deck, you know, again, or adding a patio or adding a small garage. Oh, now you gotta meet all these codes. Like, whoa, whoa, I just put in a a deck. So now I gotta make all these changes. Well, I'll never put a deck up again. So again, we're looking at that developer that comes in to buy large parcels and say, we're gonna renovate everything. Well, you hit that 51% mark. Now you gotta be in compliance with the code.
1: So making sure I understand, like if it's a, we deal with lighting and we're selling, you know, to okay. a warehouse facility. Like let's take a right. standard warehouse. If they want to change their lighting, do you guys get involved with that? In Exterior. Tampa? Exterior. Exterior. Yeah. Yes.
2: What we do on a major renovation, yes, if they're going to make that change or they ask us to participate or they're within a special district, then we go in and look and say, okay, here's the new lighting standards. You know, if it's not codified, we just recommend it. You know, we can work with that management group and say, hey, look, here's what crime analysis tells us. Here's the crime that's happened on your properties. Here's what's happening in the adjoining properties next to you. We are going to recommend that you use this lighting. Now, if a new vendor is coming in, buying the building and making several changes, now we're looking at compliance. Now we're looking at a change in ownership, might even look at a change in zoning. So now you have to be in compliance with the code.
0: Special district, is that code for high crime area?
2: <laughs> that's a good no, uh, not quite. It could be an entertainment district. It could be an educational quarter. Uh, it could be a medical district. So I like that though. though. Uh, again, so it's got some specific activity taking. I worked with Portland many many years ago on their entertainment quarter, and what they did was they wanted to create an overlay district, which include enhanced lighting, enhanced traffic calming, uh, enhanced codes for uh, noise violations, things along that line, and that's what we worked with on a way back.
0: What's interesting um, in the lighting world right now is we're kind of seeing the convergence of theatrical lighting with general lighting, and mm-hmm. the, the the what's emerging from it is the power of cueing using lighting. So street lights are just a cue, right? Go, stop, mm-hmm. right? These are cues, right. but we can actually use more enhanced cueing. I don't know if you've ever encountered that word before,
2: uh, but I have not encountered that.
0: Okay. So that's telling and people what to do you. with Yeah. So, you know, for example, you can, um, in, in a hospital, if you want, and the, the listeners go, oh God, he's bringing up the hospital again. If you listen to every show, but here we go. <laughs> every guest is different. But in a, in a hospital, you know, visiting hours, you can go in and tell people to leave, or you can just start dimming and warming the lights and they'll leave on their own. Oh. Okay. So mm-hmm. you can tell people very, very, um, sort of, uh, discreetly what to do using lighting. Um, and I'm wondering if, if, you know, maybe you hadn't heard the term queuing before, but have you been applying that in the CPTED strategies, the use of queues?
2: Not under lighting. That's, that's why I wrote it down real quick, because that's the mm. first time I've heard of that. And again, it's just an interesting way to move people. Uh, and, light, and now I know, uh, I'm not saying nightclubs, but I know nightclubs turn their lights on. And sure. so they increase the lighting there to queue people. Now I see how where it connects. Queue people, it's time to start leaving. Yes, so, to Tell, yeah, tell I, them to do think...
0: something without telling them what mm-hmm. to do, because one of the, one of the big things, um, with crime is when two people interact and mm-hmm. someone is telling someone else what to do, whether that's a police officer. Stopping a person right. in their car. Now you have to get out of the car. Now it escalates and it escalates. Or somebody on the street is telling, hey, that, but if we could just, hey, you have to leave the, the, the theater or the bar now. Instead, you just turn on all the lights and everybody knows they have to leave now. They can't stay here, mm-hmm. right? So queuing is a way to avoid potential, in this case, avoid interactions which could escalate to violence, right? So you can right. use queuing to eliminate friction. Okay, the nurses don't want to have to go into people's rooms and say, "I know your mom is dying, but you got to go home now." It's eight o'clock. You know, it's kind of it doesn't feel like something you want to do in a nightclub. You don't want the bartenders going around in the dark and saying, "Hey, guys, you got to leave now." Just turn the lights on, right? And then nobody has to interact with anyone else in a potentially friction scenario, a scenario which has friction. Is you know now that I've kind of described what I'm talking about, is there any of this in, in, in in what you guys do?
2: not with what we do but with cities zoning for example Ah, just try to how it would apply for example parking lots that drop their lighting by 50 percent during Mm non-peak hours so I've seen them doing that Uh, I've seen the National Park Service drop some of the lighting on trails by 50 75 percent during non-peak hours Mm -hmm. Uh, and again it's a little darker so people should know not to walk there because it's not very bright but it's just enough light so you can see if something's taking place there but I've never heard it called queuing so that's something different for me to look at
0: yeah it's, i think it's the, mo- the most powerful emerging field in lighting right now when people talk about human-centric lighting or the health effects of lighting i think cueing mm-hmm. the the combination of theatrical principles into everyday life and the use of those um in smart intelligent design is is mm-hmm. going to be the future of lighting rather, rather other than more than circadian rhythm effects and stuff like that i think those are going to be difficult to achieve um you know right. a street light is a is a cue you know, they're, they're, they're everywhere. Um, how there, There's been a bit of a, um, a, I don't know if I would say movement, but I would say a, an idea that has surfaced in some of our darkness and dark sky discussions that we've had that areas that are tend to be impoverished or populated mm-hmm. by racial minorities tend to be lit a lot brighter. Like I know Chica- mm-hmm. South Chicago has the keyhole to keyhole initiative that they want uniform even light from keyhole to keyhole um and there's some pushback on this um from um you know various groups saying that this actually you know is like a prison yard it's not safe it's more like right. contained as opposed to safe um do you have any mm-hmm. thoughts with respect to that or do you guys bring that to the table that you know but perhaps that comes we're... to the table yeah
2: yes i just did a uh dark sky webinar, uh, part of the one of the programs. And uh, one of the studies out of New York, it was in the Atlanta Monthly, was that the mayor went ahead and brought these like 100,000 lumen lights into some of the high crime neighborhoods and lit it up. I mean, you had this five, 6,000 Kelvin just blue light everywhere. The surprising thing though, was that crime dropped by almost 38%. The downside though, was that this was coming through people's rooms at night, and there was a lot of glare and light trespass. And the mayor came back and said, hey, you wanted less crime, I gave you less crime. And that's what we're dealing with right now. When you talk about the security industry, or you talk about placemaking or tactical urbanism, what is the balance? What is the balance of lighting? Mm. Uh, again, how many foot candles? What do I need? So, so literally, this camera?
0: making lighting one of these neighborhoods up like a prison yard actually works to reduce crime, period.
2: It reduced crime... And that's from the article wow. out of the Atlanta Monthly was over 38%, somewhere around there. And cool. I was shocked to see it because you see the picture of the light, you're like, that is the nastiest light I've sure. ever seen. It's this big floodlight. But it's when like the mayor yard. came back it's lit up like a prison yard. Exactly. Literally. Yeah. Exactly. And again, but it decreased crime. So again, and you come in with the government being very strong-handed in yeah. some cases saying, this works. You're like in the residence there, no, it's coming through our windows. We can't deal sure. with that. So where's the balance?
0: Is there you, why go you go ahead Greg. We'll go, we'll, I'll I'll yeah, unpack myself here a bit on that one. Yeah, <laughs>
1: from from the standpoint I am going back a little to the codes but it relates is Is there a, are you guys always looking at minimum light levels or are you saying minimum and maximum?
2: A lot of cities just do minimum, some do minimum maximum, some do maximum. You know, for my city it was minimum. A lot of cities I work with is minimum lighting standards. Now, that's not going to keep a property from wanting to go higher. We have a, grocery, a chain grocery store here in Florida that goes two foot candles higher than what the code requires. And that is so they can have the brightest parking lot to attract more customers. Does it work? Yeah, it works for them. Uh, but again, they're using lighting as what, I guess, queuing or something along that one, but to bring more people in to their facility. And it works very well for them. But nobody set a maximum standard. It's in the Fort Lauderdale area. Nobody set a maximum standard for that. They just set a minimum though by code.
1: Do you guys get involved at all in the it doesn't sound like it, but the Kelvin temperature or we do or yeah. there? Yeah.
2: Okay. We get involved in the Kelvin temperature. And again, here's a debate we're having right now. Uh, I saw so in, in the lighting market, I'm not sure which company did this, but they brought an LED now, about twenty four hundred Kelvin to get that warm yellow light. And I was just amazed to see it because I thought over time we were trying to get away from that from the uh, low-pressure sodium, the old high-pressure sodium. We wanted more somewhere in the 3,400, 4,000 range. And does that tie into camera capability as far as colors? Uh, What about facial recognition? You know, if we're using that technology for security and safety, uh, what about my neighborhood watch, uh, people living in that apartment complex looking out the window and the police said, what color car was it? Ah, we think it was brown, but it might be green. You know, based off the lighting so again we're battling i shouldn't say battling we're trying to find mutual ground where we can find the i hate to say perfect but the best light for community safety that's what the goldilocks thing not too much not too just that right middle and i've talked about it with dark skies i talked about the is and well, that's one of the things we're thinking about is what is that number that magic number we're looking for wood candles Witness potential natural surveillance technology that's going to work for everybody.
1: And do you think so it's I'm looking for, for that answer? answer. Yeah, we, we don't know. That's what we're <laughs> that a good one for me. <laughs> um, is it at some point the, where uh, sorry, the name is Septed? I think is what you called it. Yeah, Septed. No, uh, yeah, you got it. Septed that they'll require exterior fixtures to maybe be dark sky compliant.
2: I don't see why not. I, I, again, I'm looking at dark sky. And I'm a a fan of them to a certain degree. You know, we do need lighting, but then you have these different members. And again, just like any association, you have members that are extreme in one and extreme in the other. And uh, I guess one comment I heard was, why do we need streetlights when we carry flashlights? You know, why do cars need light? Again, we go back and forth and uh, uh, trying to find the middle ground with that one. But yeah, Dark Skies does some good things. Uh, Even at their seminar, we're talking about what is the minimum amount of lighting we need for safety understanding if I'm in an urban setting, I got to have lighting. But if I'm out in the middle of mountains somewhere and I want to see the night sky, why do I have lights up there? You know, if this is a nature trail. So, so again, I'm trying to look at the big picture.
0: Yeah. It's, there's competing interests here for sure. And, um, when you talk about, you know, a number like 38% crime reduction, I mean, that's a huge number. That's a,
2: that's a big number.
0: Like, you know, a, a reduction of violent crime of six percent would be a big number. You know, whatever whatever that thirty eight percent is cataloging, um, you know, what I'm sort of want to dive into maybe a little bit deeper is the is there a, in your belief and from what you said, is there a distinct relationship between security and electric light which cannot be broken that those two things are inherently related to one another. And in a sense, the more the better.
2: Wow. That's kind of old school, new school. Yeah, a lot of the uh, security professionals I work with, and I've heard people say this just light it up like a Christmas tree. You know, we got to bring more light, more light, more light. Uh, one of the workshops I did, I placed in a presentation making the night sky, bring, bring, bringing uh, lighting tonight, increased lighting at nighttime, more lighting at nighttime, uh, brighten up the nighttime. Uh, for safety and people are afraid, you know, people are afraid because no one's looking again at, well, what's the crime rate like, uh, what are, what issues we've had on the property before is, should this be a concern or is this something that we're trying to create to sell product? So again, these are all things we try to address as we look at that, but security and lighting have always been hand in hand, you know, especially for, especially with camera technology. You know, I see the big push for that, uh, better light, better images, capture those, provide the information, get that photo out to other people. But yeah, they're, they're almost work hand in hand. Uh, The new lighting uh, people I see in the security profession are more flexible. Uh, uh, Some of the older ones who are coming on board, we see the value, but again, it's just uh, what works best and what are the needs of the people living or using that space? We sometimes don't ask that. What are your needs? What do you want to see? You should have input in the lighting requirements of the site. What's your comfort level? Because otherwise we take control of the community from them and again, government coming in. So again, we want to include them in every step that we take. Uh, to start setting some of those lighting standards, for example. There's something
0: dystopian about uh, this keyhole-to-keyhole keyhole kind of ideas or these uniform LED light. There's something about 5000K LED light at night that's uniform mm-hmm. on a street that is extremely ugly. I just have to say it. It's ugly as sin. It makes everything look mm-hmm. nasty. Sure. You can tell the color of the car. I mean, yeah. For if you, if you, if you're only, and I'm, I'm not saying this is you, but if the only priority is maximal witness, you know, abilities or, and crime prevention, then yeah, but it feels like I'm in the hunger games or something, you know, when, I, when I'm thinking <laughs> about like the, these ideas, the, these statistics. Um, What are the other elements of this outside of lighting that maybe we haven't discussed yet? And how could lighting improve those?
2: And and this goes back to the social component. I mean, first of all, why do we need the bright light? You know, do we have a lot of crime? And that's the community's way to respond to that. Uh, We have to look at the underlying factors. What what about housing? What about employment? Uh, What about green space? What about public art and its application to the neighborhood to create community pride? Once a community takes ownership and has the tools, which a lot of them don't have, and the tools are provided for them to come up with the solutions, they maintain the policing of the site. Uh, Then police are freed up to do other things and the community calls them when needed. Some neighborhoods uh, we all have seen, I'm sure, where the police need to be here all the time. There is no social strategy that are being applied, or if they are, they're not what the community needs. So whether it's gonna be enforcement, nonprofits, uh, we get so focused on one element that here's the one thing we can do. What we call it the silver bullet project. Uh, there is no silver bullet. Mm. You know, I need uh, like 50 of them in order to come up with ways to address that, not the one. And so, and lighting's one. I've had people tell me if we just bring the lighting up, that'll solve all of our crime. But mm. um, well, you still have the same issues uh, once you get into the neighborhood, the alleyways, the dilapidated properties, no jobs, no employment. Great, we lit it up, but no one takes responsibility for what's happening on the street. So that's I think, where that comes I think the word
0: community out. is misused. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to have community and anti community. There's places where people live that's an anti community, it's the opposite. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, hey, maybe I don't want to start saying any particular ones, but there's a couple that are <laughs> popping into my head in the U.S. where I don't think there is a community there. I think it's an anti
2: community. No. Oh. Yeah, yeah pretty, sometimes the uh, your planners might refer to that as, uh, if you just stay in your house, don't get the urban fortress model, where mm. people just, they don't want to be community. Hey, what's happening on the street? Close the blinds, come inside, don't engage your neighbors, the police are here to fix it. Not enough police anymore. So now you got to come outside because they're going to take five, 10 minutes to get there, maybe 20 minutes. So what are you going to do now? You know, so do you go from that anti-community to, hey, who's my neighbor? Hey, Fred, come and help me Fred Mary I need a hand you know something's going on here mm. so it's kind of we see that it's almost forcing us to get to know who's there as compared to let the police fix everything mm. what what year did the uh, Tampa Police Department start that C, C, or septed sorry CEPTED say, right? program uh, yes 90 we had our first standard in 1990 1999 98 99 uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, you see it on the the uh, agency chart. I show that in the, one of the presentations I do. So probably about 2004, I was gonna say it was really going, taking off. A lot of it had to do because of uh, 9-11. So we put a lot of crime prevention people into uh, under Homeland Security. And now we saw we're getting too much into target hardening. We gotta soften it up just a bit. But yeah, and, it yeah, started about I... 2004, go ahead. Okay.
1: The reason I ask, and uh, I see this graph here. I'm not going to be able to show it a- adequately on screen, but the blue oh, yeah. line is Tampa, and that's a, the mm-hmm. reduction in crime from 2006 to 2012. Mm-hmm. You retired in 2006. <laughs> so
2: 2006, right, when you retired, right? Yeah.
1: Drastic drop. It, does it have to do with this? Are you guys taking credit for that? It,
2: it's yes, we're taking credit, <laughs> dog. Yeah. It's a it's right. a mixture of things that were happening. Uh, uh from the SEPTED program codifying that to community-based policing uh to more community enrichment programs community engagement you know that made a big we still had crime you know again and the police know the pockets where it happens so again we didn't get rid of all of it uh I think about twenty sixteen, twenty fifteen, 2015 we had an increase in homicides so again but that had to do with uh in uh drugs a lot of drug activity coming in a fresh market now so again then too, you have to address that so SEPTID allows us to be flexible and adjust you know, to what's going on. For example, one, one, one story I give is when people call the police to arrest the offender that's committing a crime, so they'll call and police will get there, arrest him for selling drugs. He's out or she's out the next day. Call the police again, they come there, arrest him again. He's out in three days. Call the police again, they come arrest him again. So the mindset now is sometimes I might not be able to change the offender, but nothing says I can't change the environment that supports the offender. So again, we're now, instead of him feeling comfortable, we've made it for, through lighting, through again, several other applications, community enrichment, where he doesn't feel comfortable anymore. And some people call it displacement. we moved moved to another neighborhood with similar issues. So now let's work on that neighborhood, including a social component to address that person, why the crime's committed, what assistance do they need? It's just, you know, we, we tried the hard sell, you know, Everybody gets arrested. We go in, everybody goes to jail. But again, compassion now is trying to really come into play and a better understanding what people need communities.
1: So what, what can the lighting industry do as their part? Oh, to assist in that's,
2: this? that is awesome. The lighting industry. Oh my God. I took, I remember I took my first lighting class way, way back in the nineties. And uh, Hubble was the one that was pushing the training back then Hubble lighting. And, uh, Because of that, I've been involved with Hubble for a long time. We were holding a SEPTED training courses at the Hubble facility in uh, Greenville, South Carolina for the longest time, you know, we partnered up. But what the lighting industry can do is kind of help law enforcement understand the value of lighting, you know, especially when we get into safety and security, because police will come in and say, give me the brightest light you can put up, Mm -hmm. just like we saw in New York, because with that mindset, light deters crime. But yeah, blinding light also causes accidents, now, again, now you deal with dark adaptation going... So they don't see the big picture. And I think more and more lighting classes uh, would be a huge, huge addition to their knowledge and understanding. Uh, again, working with uh, police and security, uh, trying to find that baseline. Of what is about. I love that the yellow light, again, that historical gas light when you walk in that historic neighborhood. It just really... Wow, it makes you feel like a kid again. But then... Let's look at crime data. Let's look at auto theft, auto burglary, homicide, robbery. You know, Does that increase or decrease that amount of crime based off the lighting? And nobody's doing a lot of good lighting studies in the U.S. right now. There's just not a lot being done. And that's what really concerns us. I think the industry
0: is more uh, likely to side with the cops. I think most people yeah. oh, in the yeah. industry oh. are more likely to say, blast it out. I got, I got these fixtures right over here, brother. Come on in. I got, how many do you need? How many do you want? I can I see you. I can see yeah, you now. Let's do it. So, I mean, I, but I think that, you know, there needs to be, um, the lighting industry has to um, come to a p- place where, where we can have trade-offs where we can have discussions about trade-offs. Because I, I find mm-hmm. most of the, you know, discussions about safety are always absolutism. You know, when people are talking about safety, You cannot question them. There's no, they're not allowed to be questioned. And and you know, since this, you know, in the last couple of years, the word safety has almost lost its meaning because of this, because, you know, everything in the name of safety or everything in the name of crime prevention. And so you, you know, when you, you drive that one statistic down, but are you Mm -hmm. pressing something down and squeezing, there's leakage, is there leakage into other areas, other problems? People can't sleep as well their circadian rhythm is messed up because the lights going in the window of their child or whatever. There could be a million different unintended consequences, which is why I think it's a, rather than say that I would challenge the lighting industry to take the blinders off and let's really dig into these issues and see if mm-hmm. there's a, a trade-off between what's the point at which the maximum light level stops working, you know? Right. Where is that point? Okay, so that point is at this money, you know, whatever, foot candles or lux. Okay, now Mm -hmm. if we dial it down, how much does beauty play a role? Does making neighborhoods more beautiful, does that reduce crime? Or, you know, these other things like you're talking about, you know, maybe people are less likely to steal in a beautiful neighborhood. Maybe they're more likely to steal. I think there's a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to, um... You know, mm-hmm. yes, less, more light, less crime. Insurance companies like it. Police like it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, security cameras like it. But um, birds, wildlife, humans and their circadian rhythm, there's definitely a cost. And it's not being oh, yeah. put into the equation, Art.
2: Right. And, and that's what we're missing. We're missing that type of discussion. And that's why I like working with dark skies. That's why when I had the chance to be with IES, which I thought about many years ago, but I thought, ah, they're not going to let me on that committee. And so now to be part of that committee as well, and to have some input as far as what we're looking at, uh, you just can't forget people. I I mean, that's what it all comes down to, quality of life. And and I know we overuse community engagement or community enrichment, Mm -hmm. but those are our eyes on the street. Uh, Those are the first line. So they're the ones that are going to see what's happening and And call the police or if they have good neighbors you know call their neighbors and take ownership Uh, i I think we've lost that and and you're absolutely right when you say hey sometimes security industry comes in and it absolutely has to be done this way why i mean when i started taking septed early on in the 90s i had the instructor he passed away some time ago he started asking questions and he says well why aren't you involved in the initiative i go well we're the police we don't design buildings and he started asking why Why, this is your city. Why don't you know where crime happens? Why aren't you a part of the decision making on where the lighting goes? Again, you know the crime, you know how it connects. Why don't you have input? And that stuck with me for a long time. And that was my driving force to see this codified in the city. And uh, now we have, I think, over eight standards now under these districts, overlay districts, and lighting as well as one of those.
0: Ongoing discussion, Art, uh, you know, I, I really, oh, yes. I, I, I really, you know, I really hope the IES can, and other groups like that can start to really focus. I think the IES needs a new executive director, Greg, right? looking for one, right? Start there. Yeah. He, start there. This is a great, this is a great thing to tackle, the relationship between lighting and safety. and um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where that strategic line should be drawn in different areas and based on different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Folks, we got to go to led-llc.com. Greg, Eric, that's Light right. Light efficient they've design.
1: Got, they've got their flex color and wall packs, and we talked about it today. Right now, we don't know the exact right color, but their flex color gives you 3K, 4K, and 5K, so you have the option. That makes it easy. Built-in photo cell, IP65, self-leveler,
0: built-in level indicator. Ooh, I love that. Got it all. Check it out. That is so swanky. That little leveler thing. Come on, man. <laughs> Go to led-llc.com and, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Of course, Light Efficient Design is a member, as are Greg and I, and you should be a member too, sucker. That's right. Join us today, dot org. And should we say it, Greg? Should we break the news? No, maybe not yet. No, Maybe. not yeah. yet. Not going to yeah. <laughs> break yet. it right now. The National Association. No, okay, not yet. Okay, no news yet. But for right now, all you people out there listening, our colleagues that don't have a podcast, thanks for listening. Bye for now.